Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We're continuing to journey through the Bible. We're, we began in August in Genesis, and we're approaching the end of May where we'll complete revelation. Right now, we're going through the New Testament letters, which are really letters from early Christians' leaders about how we can love one another as Christ loved us. Today, we're reading the first letter of Peter. And the song we just heard, many of us associate with Peter. The, you heard the, the refrain, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Well, that, of course, is a quote from the Gospels, where Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And many of us assume he's talking about Peter as a person, as an individual, as a leader. But actually that was right after Jesus had said of, or Peter had said of Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what Jesus is talking about there is saying that it is this proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, upon which the church will be built. So in Paul's letter uh, to the early church, Paul, or excuse me, in Peter's letter to the early church, Peter is talking about what it means to have that that rock in your life. And in fact, he calls Christ the cornerstone of our lives, that this this cornerstone uh, which helps set the foundation for our lives. And we'll be looking at what did he mean back then when he called Christ the cornerstone? And what does it mean today for us to have Christ as the cornerstone, the foundation of our lives? Now, I do want to share that one of the indispensable ways to help Christ be the cornerstone and foundation of your life is to read the Bible every day. If you're not already doing so, we encourage you to, to find a Bible reading plan at concordunited.org slash Bible. And that reading plan is taking you right now through the New Testament letters with our sermons. And it will continue to give you passages to read each week that will continue to go along with the sermons throughout the summer and the fall and the winter and the spring. And as long as we have seasons, we'll continue to have Bible readings to, to go with the sermons. I do want to let you know a special uh, prize for this summer, the readings get shorter. Okay, so, you know, we let you relax a little bit in the summer, but encourage you to to make a commitment to that. Now, what does it mean to have Christ as the cornerstone? Uh, Oftentimes, I'll share with the confirmation class who's joining today as they come in and they have actually exit interviews with us pastors. And they just love so much sitting in a room surrounded by books and pastors. I, I know it's just one of the highlights of their sixth grade year, uh, uh, which may or may not be. It's certainly one of the highlights of my year, getting to talk to these young persons, getting to hear what they're excited about, getting to see their faith and talk to them about what's really most important. And it's not uncommon for me in these conversations when we talk about the vows that they'll take when they join the church to talk about that vow when they stand before the church and say, Jesus will be my Lord and Savior, and to say, this is the most important question you'll ever answer. Every other question in your life is secondary to this question. This is the most important question you'll ever, you'll ever answer, the most important decision you'll ever make. And when we, we look at our lives and we're trying to make the right decisions, 
uh, and we're saying what does it mean for Christ to be the, the cornerstone, it's important for us to remember how cornerstones worked in ancient archaeology, not archaeology, but ancient architecture, because they work a little different now. In Peter's day, a cornerstone was the first stone that got put in the ground. And so all the walls, the rest of the foundation and the building is based off that first stone. And that first stone is used to determine, you know, what angles will the building be built at? Uh, you know, how, how flat will it be? Everything is determined by, by that first stone about how everything else will be built. Now today, cornerstones are usually simply a decorative brick that we insert into one corner of a building, but it functioned much differently but back then, it was the first stone placed in the ground for the building. When we think about the most important decisions in our lives and the decisions that really set our priorities, one way to figure out which decisions you're giving the most emphasis to is this. The most important decision you make is always the first decision. Whatever you decide first, that's most important. And whatever you decide last is not quite as important. For, for example, people will often come up to me, and many of you know my my wife, Rebecca, and people often uh, say to me, you made a great decision when you married Rebecca. I like to think she made a good decision too. Um, but, but and they'll say, you're, you're so lucky. And I, I, I'm like, yes, I absolutely am. I outkicked my coverage. I'm aware of that fact, fact every day. Uh, that, but the decision to marry her was not the first decision. I, I made a decision before that that was even more important I made a decision years before that, the type of woman I wanted to marry. And so when I found that type of woman, I knew immediately, and it only took me four years to convince her I was right. Uh, but, but I had decided that the type of woman I, that uh, I, I wanted someone who had a strong Christian faith and preferably a strong Christian United Methodist faith, that I was a type A personality and I wanted someone who wouldn't let me just get lost in my goals but could help me uh, really care for the people of my life and see the big picture of life. Uh, and I wanted someone uh, who was wonderful with kids and, and who would be a, a wonderful mom. And uh, then, and, and then I, I, because I'd made that first decision, when I had the opportunity to make the next decision, I knew what I, knew what I had, and it helped me because, as we know, there's, there's no one out there who's just absolutely romantically the perfect person that has, you know, checks every single box. Like, that person's not out there. I, I know people, and they're like, you know, I just haven't found the perfect person yet, and it's kind of like, well, that's because they don't exist, right? Uh, but uh, you know, there were things about our relationship that weren't the way I, I saw it going. For instance, I never wanted a long-distance relationship. Uh, we dated in, in the same town for two weeks, and we spent three, three years, uh, 11 months, and two weeks in other towns. We, we were mostly long-distance, but because I had made the very first decisions about how, what was most important, then I was able to make the next decisions well. It's like that in our lives when we make decisions about our faith and the decision, what it means for Christ to be the cornerstone, the, the very first thing we do that affects everything else. So I want to read with you from the first letter of Peter to the early church, and we're going to pick up with chapter 2, the first verse. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they were disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So here's Peter saying what it is to find Christ as your cornerstone. And it's instructive how Peter begins. His first bit is a warning. Rid yourselves of all malice, all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Don't be jealous. Don't be insincere. Don't want, want what's not good for, for someone else. And often those are things that uh, happen in, in our lives we find ourselves thinking about. And in essence, what Peter is saying here is stop putting second things first. Set aside everything that doesn't put Christ first. And some of that, like malice, is easy to, and slander is easy to see, but insincerity? What, what's the problem with insincerity if, if, if we're just trying to, to be nice? And um, in envy, well, we, we all have envy, and we could go on. Even good things, when we put them before too high, they become second things. Uh, and if we elevate them too high, they have disastrous consequences for us. I remember at one of the churches I've served getting to know a young lady and her family and she was a high school student and just had talent coming out her ears. She had a 4.0 GPA. She aced every standardized test that there was. She played a musical instrument and she played it so well uh, that she was nationally ranked within those who were playing that, that instrument. And we just marveled at all she was able to do. And it just looked like she had the world at her fingertips until one day her parents and she came in to talk. And what we discovered was that she was placing so much pressure on herself to perform academically, to ace the test, to perform musically, that she was struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts she had put second things first. She had put gifts that God gave her ahead of God and it was literally tearing her apart from the inside out. And she's not the only one who does that, right? Uh, there are students among us who uh, may not have those 4.0 grades that she has, uh, or maybe you do, but there are some students here who divide, define themselves by their grades. And if that's how you define yourself, we're don't get me wrong, we are proud of how you perform in the classroom, but you're so much more than that. And you're so much more than how you perform on some standardized test that, trust me, um, when you're an adult, we, we're not going to worry about that stuff. No one will ever ask you what your test scores were except to make fun of you if you, if you scored too high. So whenever they do, just don't say anything. Don't, 
that stuff, yeah, it's important. Do your best. But it doesn't define you. We love going to your concerts. We love watching your ball games. But who you are as an athlete and who you are as an artist, those are small parts of the gifts God's given you. But that's not near everything. That's not near what defines you. And when we allow those second things to define us, it begins to cause us to come apart. And it doesn't just happen to young people. I've, I've known so, so many parents, and there are times uh, when their kids do things, and they're loving parents and they're caring parents, and they do everything to help their kids. But there are times when their kids do things that just cause parents to go. And some of us to do that a lot. And let me tell you, if you've never had that experience, you're probably not a parent. There's no perfect kids and there no, there's no perfect parents. And I want you to know, parents, we are so proud of you because God gave you those children. God gave you those children because God wanted you to, to love those children and to raise those children knowing God's love. And we see how you give your very best to do that. But when your children make mistakes or when things are harder in your family than you think it should be, we're still proud of you. And even what, who you are as a parent doesn't entirely define you. You're, you're more than that in God's eyes. Goodness knows there are some of us who we're in careers and there are folks here who aren't just in a career where they're trying to provide for their family, but I know there are some of you who manage and run businesses and you're trying to provide for 30, 40, 50 other families through your business and you do so much for our community and you do so much so well, uh, but we want you to know that in God's eyes, you're a lot more uh, than who you are as a professional. And there are things even more important to God than how you perform as a professional because sometimes we can get so caught up in that that we can begin to unravel. We're putting second things first. Now, thankfully for that young lady, her family and she sat down together and they decided how she could begin to put her faith first again while still pursuing and using these gifts God's given her. And she's in a, very, she's in a much better place today. And if you wonder if maybe a decision like that might be something you need to make, I want to give you a little test that I've developed for myself to see am I putting second things first. Because I find for all of us, that's a tendency we have. There's that great hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We all have that tendency to, to wander and to take God's good gifts or, or things that God never intended for us and move towards them and not have God first. So here, here's the test I give myself. Is there anything on which you are spending more time, money, and worry than your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there anything? That, and if, I'm, if I have one of these things that I'm spending more on than Jesus Christ, time, money, and worry, then that might be an issue. If I have two things, it's probably an issue. If I have three things, it's an issue. In fact, it's a big issue. And if I don't address it internally, I'm going to start coming apart. There's only one way, in fact, to be a Christian. The only way to be a Christian is to put Christ first. That's what the word Christian means. Someone who has put Christ first. And that's the only way to do it. And that means having Christ as our cornerstone. Christ is the stone upon which everything else is built. Because as Paul says, or as Peter says in chapter 2, 
verse 4, he says, Like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house that God wants to build us up in faith as a house. And what does a house do? A house provides, right? Where where we can provide love and care for others because of how Christ has built us up. But we can't have that. We can't have a solid house that's going to stand up through the storms of life and the difficulty and, and the grief and the challenges as well as the joys and the blessings if Christ isn't that cornerstone. You know, I was listening to a political commentator recently on the national news, and I would tell you what channel it was on, but you judge me. Uh, I will tell you it was neither Fox nor MSNBC. So it wasn't one of those two channels. But I was listening to this political commentator and he was talking about his travels throughout the country and how following politics he appreciated good oratory. And he, he said, I see all these great churches and even synagogues and it makes me regret that when my kids were in my house and this person claimed to be a Christian, he said that I should have just taken them every week we should have been at a different church or a synagogue to let them hear all these different styles of speech and all that these different traditions had to offer. And part of me says, you know, there's something really beautiful uh, about hearing from different traditions. Uh, I'm I'm not against that. Uh, I've I've been to Catholic churches. I've been to different types of Protestant churches. Uh, I've been to Jewish synagogues. I, I had a friend once invite me to a Muslim mosque, and I was honest about how I believed, but I said, I'll, I'll go with you to to honor you and, you know, learn about your tradition, but, but I can't worship in exactly the same way as you. I, I'm not against that. In, in fact, I think that's very helpful. But this idea that you should take your kids to a different place each week, I can't think of a worse idea. Well, I, I can. I mean, you could just not take them anywhere. Uh, but I think that's a horrible idea if you're wanting to build them up into a spiritual house. Because think about a builder, does a builder who's building a house go, oh, I wonder what mood I'm in today. I think I'm not really in the mood to put a roof on today. I think I'll wire the house today. Well, you don't wire a house electrically until you put the roof on, right? There are all kinds of things in a house. Everything has to be done for the most part in a certain order. You have to get it dry before you can put all the rest of the pieces in, in, into the house. It's okay to learn from other traditions, but you need to know who you are. You need to know who your cornerstone is. You need to know who your tribe is and who your foundation is. And for Jesus to become our cornerstone, to be built up into a spiritual house, we know that Jesus has a plan for this, and it involves us being a part of a local church. It involves what the confirmands will say today, that they'll serve a local church with their prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. It involves praying every day. It involves being a part of a congregation where you are worshiping and you're part of a small group. And you're giving your money to God just to say thank you. Just to say, God, I'm so thankful for what you've done. I just want to give this to honor you. And also giving it in order that the church might bless the community and particularly the least and last and lost around where you live and maybe even around the world. That we're serving through acts of helping others, maybe going on a mission trip, serving in the thrift store, working on a Habitat for Humanity house, making a, a Linus blanket for children at Children's Hospital, whatever it might be, you know, we're going to be doing that, that we're going to be uh, seeking to serve God with our witness, telling others about the cornerstone of our lives, because goodness gracious, it's selfish. If you know the only cornerstone that truly holds up through all the storms of life, and you don't let others know about that, 
we, we would never just randomly go uh, to places and, and be influenced. However, we would have our foundation, our cornerstone in place, and then we would have learned to appreciate other traditions because Christ is trying to build us into this spiritual house, this spiritual house that can withstand every storm life can bring and can help us be faithful with the blessings of life as well. And let me tell you something about Jesus. You will either experience Jesus as a cornerstone or as a stumbling block. You will experience Jesus as one of those two. Shortly after, Peter writes, see, I'm laying in Zion a a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, in in the very next verse, verse 7, he says, uh, to those who believe he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall, right? Jesus, Jesus is either your cornerstone or a stumbling block. When we begin putting second things first, Jesus becomes for us a stumbling block. And he often does so by giving to us an unsettled, uneasy uh, feeling, a lack of peace on the inside. And when Jesus does this for us, This is not his wrath. This is his grace and his love. He is doing this in order to call us back to him, in order to say, come back to me, and allowing us to find our way back. It is not that he does this to punish us, but he does that. He would not let us find peace for our lives upon a foundation that can't really provide it. He wants to to call us back. I learned this especially from a set of parents I greatly admire. They have a daughter who is now in her final years of high school. And in her early years, as she was making that transition from middle school to high school, she again seemingly had everything going for her. She was smart. She was very social. She was the type of person, she had all kinds of friends and the type of young person that adults love to talk to. She was very talented, musically, athletically. She had just this positivity, this love for life and love for learning. And then suddenly at the end of her eighth grade year, as she began ninth grade, they they noticed at first that just she was talking a little differently. And she wasn't using the same types of, her vocabulary was slightly declining. And then they noticed that her motor skills were beginning to suffer. And she couldn't athletically do the things she could do before. And so they took her to the doctor and they did scans for brain tumors to see if that was the problem. And they took her to all kinds of neurologists and no one knew what was going on. But their daughter could barely carry on a conversation. And she, could, she got to the point where it was all she could do just to take care of herself. Uh, but going to school and all that wasn't really something she was capable of. And they literally saw her mind and her body disintegrating right in front of their eyes. And they couldn't figure out how to fix it. And so for about six months, they did everything in the world they could possibly do. They, they went to every specialist. They stayed up every night till three, combing the corners of the internet to try and find something. And they said, after six months, we weren't much farther than, than when we started. And we realized something. We realized that we hadn't been to church in six months and our faith was falling apart. We realized we hadn't slept in six months and our bodies were falling apart. We realized we hadn't paid attention to our other kids in six 
six months and our family was falling apart and we realized our daughter was still falling apart and we had to do something different. Now let me say I empathize with their situation. If that was happening to one of my children, there's no money I wouldn't pay. I would sleep outside in the cold. I would do anything on this earth. I would walk through the desert without water to get my child any possible help they could have. But they tried all that. And they went back and they reconnected with their faith. And they said, we need to pray and we need to ask God what we need to do now. And what they decided in that moment was that as a family, as parents, they might or might not be able to get their daughter help. That they had to accept the fact that she might have something that nobody could diagnose and treat. And they said, but what we could control was how we held our family together and how we held close to God. So they made a couple decisions. They began saying, we're not going to, research neurologists and met, do medical research on Sundays. We're, we're going to go to church that day. And we're going to set aside these times of day to try and do medical research. And we're going to set aside these times of day just to be with our family and to sit on the floor and play board games or to go for a walk with, with our other kids. And we're going to start praying again other, you know, every day. And we're going to do that together as a family and they said, we really said, we're going to put God first. And when they were asked, how did you have the confidence to do that? They said, we talked and we decided that God wanted her to get better, worse than we did. And when they began to trust that, things started to change. And so rather than pursuing a hundred different medical leads at a time, they would pursue one. And when it became a dead end, they'd pursue another and another, and what they found was that their relationships with their children started to come back. And what they found was that even though she wasn't getting medical treatment, their daughter started to do just a little bit better because she was in a better home environment. And then what they found after three more months was that one of those roads wasn't a dead end, and it got them to the one person in the country who could figure out what it was. And after two very difficult years, their daughter's about to graduate high school this spring, and she's going to do so as a mostly healthy individual who's going to live a very normal life. They don't know if they would ever would have gotten there if they hadn't taken the moment to put Christ first. And they're almost sure they wouldn't have gotten there as a family without that. Even in the worst possible times, God calls us to put Christ first as the cornerstone. And God says, I promise you I want what's good for you even worse than you want it. And if you will put me first, and if you will allow me to build you into a spiritual house, then all these other things will be added unto you. If you'll put me first, I'll see you through the storms, and I'll even see you through the blessings. That's the promise we have in Scripture that's a promise that next week some of us may need to come forward and reclaim as we rededicate our lives. We might look and we might say, you know what? I have put other things ahead. I need to rededicate. I need to say, Jesus Christ, you are my cornerstone. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you are the cornerstone that can uphold us for all our lives and even give us life forever.
Lord, we pray today and we ask that when we experience you as a stumbling block, that you would allow us to see your grace and to turn back and make you our cornerstone. We pray that you would give us that trust, that you will see us through all things, and let us truly be Christians who put you first. This is our prayer, and we are completely incapable of living it out without the very presence of your spirit at work in us, above us, beyond us, and in spite of us. So we ask you to do your work and fulfill your promise in our midst, and we trust that you are faithful, for we pray in your name. And we all said together, Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.